Welcome. Welcome. To, welcome to the Duke and Duchess podcast. The seventh episode of the Duke and Duchess podcast. Lucky number seven. Yes, indeedy. Fantastic. I am the Duke. I'm the Duchess. Yes, you are. Looking beautiful tonight. Is this the duchy? Do we take it that Ooh. far? I don't know. I think, I mean, if we're going to take it anywhere, <laughs> we have to take it that far. <laughs> All right. Um, so what are we talking about tonight? So episode seven, we are talking about chapters 71 through 76 of uh, The Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss. Absolutely. Yes, we are. What are we going to talk about next week? Do we have we figured that out? Yes. Next week will be episode eight. We will be talking about chapters 77 through 83. So we are slowing down the pace considerably, but there's a, a lot to get into. Good. That makes me happy. Good. It really does. Okay. All right. So let's talk about our spoiler policy. Go for it. Which is very simply that Elizabeth here has read the books several times. I have never read the books. So we will keep it spoiler free through chapter 76. Um, because we're not going to talk about stuff from the end of the book or wise man's fear. Because we ain't been there yet. We ain't been there. We ain't been there yet. So... All right, and hopefully this will be a shorter episode than the last time. We came in at nearly two hours, um, and we'll see what happens this time. I make no promises. All right, so this section of chapter is shorter, but a lot of things, a lot of moving parts, a lot of things going on in, in this uh, section of chapters here. Right, so let's talk about what kind of what happened last week that we talked about where where are the characters when we start this off gotcha and what i and what i remember from last week it seems like it was so long ago it was it was only seven days but it seems like it was years ago it has nothing to do with the podcast or the books no nothing (laughs) Um, we've been through some stuff we've been through some stuff in this this week. week goodness right so i traveled and we had sick children on top of it it was uh it was a a lot of stuff. It was epic sickness. It was, there was stuff everywhere. That's oh my all, gosh. That's all I'm going to say. The little one was like a lawn sprinkler. <laughs> all right, so. Full on exorcist, just. <sighs> so, so put that squarely in your brain. <laughs> all right, and last time I remember we were talked about, the, the big things were uh, that Ambrose attempted to have, well, we believe it was Ambrose, um, maybe it wasn't, who had, a hit out on Quoth and also that he, in my mind, this was important that he started to get some sort of semblance of understanding the wind and the patterns of it, uh, met with Elodin. And then when he was trying to run from his would be assassins, he ended up in a strange inn where he heard people talking about this wedding where everybody was butchered and there were blue flames. And he was like, university I'm out. That's right. He That's, was ready. He was ready. Gonna and, and just like that, mm-hmm. we kind of come full circle back to the Chandrian. Right back, right back to chapter six, right back to the beginning of the book. Yep. 
And so here we are, uh, chapter 71, Strange Attraction. And Quoth has um, visited Devi at the end of the previous chapter. Mm -hmm. And he has just kind of like masterfully just negotiated with her to get 20 talents, which is way more than he is worth. And she knows that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet he has offered her the possibility of access to the archives. And so for nothing more than a promise and a small drop of blood, mm-hmm. he has walked his way into 20 talents and a massive debt that's it's never going to be a problem. Right. <laughs> that, that won't be an issue. But, uh, but he needs a horse. So he goes he in and uh, begins this negotiation to to get a horse. And he he needs to get a a fast horse. He needs to get, I think it's like 70 miles away is the town of Traben. And he is trying to get there as quickly as possible before the rumors or whatever evidence of the Chandrian has been wiped away. And so, um, you know, something that occurred to me when I started reading this chapter and um, the horse merchant comes in and his name is Kerva or Kerva. Mm. possibly not sure something like that and um it mentions that that he is um a childish man Mm -hmm. and i thought you know we haven't really talked about the different countries and the different nationalities in the book so i thought why don't we break that down for a second really quick i would love that because i'll be honest with you i don't feel like i have a good sense of what the hell is going on well yeah and there's some there's some there's some joking i think among the the fandom um about how useless the map is in the beginning of this book (laughs) it's just not it's a very generic map not a whole lot on it and i think that's done on purpose you know um Mm -hmm. the world building and we've talked about this before it's very subtle it um it's done very organically there there aren't these exposition dumps where uh and this this country is here and this is what these people do and you know you kind of you learn about characters and through the characters you learn about the different nationalities but um but i kind of went through back through quickly and um skim read the book up to the point where we are now and and i made a a chart wow i'm looking at columns and text will... and columns and... <laughs> so um i made this chart of the different countries and stuff and what and what we know about them up to now and so um i'm going to i'll put this on the website when um nice. the week that we air this okay. and um Yes, I'll make it look nice and everything, and this will be up on the website. Because I, when I went looking for something like this, I didn't see anything about it. There's a couple different wikis mm-hmm. um, that I did find some information about, but no, nowhere that I saw on the internet. Um, and if I'm wrong, someone please point out those resources, because I'd love to have them for Wise Man's Fear when we go through that. But I didn't see anything that broke things down by country and kind of put all the information about that country there. So Yeah, I get the impression that... When Patrick Rothfuss was putting all this together and he was writing this story, it was very much about the characters and writing the story, not like a Tolkien sort of way where he built tons and tons of back history, you know, and and really laid this massive, massive world before he even really began writing the story. Now, that's not quite the way it actually played out for Tolkien, but you get the sense with a lot of these authors that they lay out these massive worlds and huge amounts of detail into the world. And then they place the story into that world where I get the impression with Patrick Rothfuss, he started writing a story and the world developed around the story. 
You, you may be right there. I think the other thing, honestly, is that in the world of the Kingkiller Chronicles, you don't have what you see in a lot of fantasy novels where the countries and the nationalities are very clearly delineated, you know, and we always talk about the Wheel of Time and how each country was like had a very specific type of fashion. It was very odd and very different than any other fashion around. And they have a very specific way of talking and foods. And and I, I feel like this world is more... Um, people are more integrated. So there are some yeah. things that differentiate different people. But it's like if you're walking around in the US, you can't tell by someone's clothes that they that they're of Irish background or that they're from, you know, you could some things you can tell you can probably tell if someone's from Texas, they're likely to be wearing a certain style of boot, or that they've been to Texas, you know, um, but if they're you know, you're not going to tell somebody from Texas from somebody from Oklahoma. Exactly. And you can tell, you know, some people have have are from different nationalities, have a distinctive look that you can kind of tell. But for the most part, you know, you're not gonna be able to pick someone out on the street like that. Yeah. And um, that's different from a lot of fantasy novels. And I like that. I think that makes this world feel very real. So when I went through and I've only put information in this chart that we have learned up to now to keep to keep with our spoiler policy. But as we go on, I hope to keep updating it I and like it. Um, we can have it up on the website. So let's let's go through. Um, there okay. are eight countries that are mentioned. Give them to me. OK, so seven of them make up what are called the four corners of civilization. So if you picture the map and I know you've looked at it, but I'll kind of describe it a little bit. Well, I have an e-reader. So. Oh, so not really. Yeah, the maps are really terrible in those that's one of the yeah. downfalls. well i mean the map is um is vaguely european shaped okay okay so there's a, a continent it's surrounded on three sides by water um and uh, to the west there's a mountain range that kind mm -hmm. of cuts it off i'm sorry the mountain range is to the east to the west you have these um uh seven countries that make up the four corners of civilization. So you've got in the middle, you have the Aturan Empire. Mm -hmm. The Aturan Empire reminds me of um, the Roman Empire and how it was once this vast sprawling, that's where we had the Amir came from. It was this vast sprawling empire. It is now, it, it through a series of wars and um, religious disputes and the disbanding of the Amir shrunk down to like, you know, we had the Roman empire, which shrunk down to, you know, modern day Italy. Mm -hmm. So that's like the big country that's in the middle of that. The language they speak is a Turin and that is pretty much spoken in a lot of the countries. Although when they talk about Tima, the language um, that, that Quoth learned in a day to defend himself, mm -hmm. that was sort of comes from the Arturan Empire as well. It's sort of a dead language. I don't think anyone speaks it. It's kind of like what Latin, Latin. is for us today. So that's the Arturans are uh, very predominantly um, influenced by the Talon religion. I think they're, they're the most devout of that. And they have, you know, when they talk about their culture they talk about morality plays um so that's something that's mentioned there they fear demons that's kind of everything that i compiled about the arturans um and then you also in the middle there you have the small kingdoms and which is i i didn't really see anything in there about the small kingdoms mm, so okay. it's just this little conglomeration of like little cities and stuff um so that's what's in the middle to the south there's an island called um Yil, 
where they speak Yiddish, and you've kind of heard about that a lot. And where that's where where the Yiddish were mentioned in the book was when the um, the Giller came mm-hmm. and um, oh, just, the, for Master Lauren. Yes, he yep. was coming to speak to Master Lauren, and he mistook Quoth for a Yiddish person. Gotcha. Because of the red hair, so we know that the Yiddish have red hair. They live on an island, and that's pretty much all we know at this point in the book. Okay. So those are the, the countries in the middle, the island to the south, the corners of the four corners. To the northwest, you have Chald. Okay. The Chaldish. And I think that's the, maybe because where most of this story takes place is in the southwest called the Commonwealth. Okay. And so I think the, the Chaldish are, are close to that. So you kind of hear mostly about that. So the Chaldish in the northwest. We've met more Chaldish people. Yes. than any other foreign nationality. And so that gives me the impression that the Chaldish are, well, gave me the impression that the Chaldish are, um, have a distinctive look about him because a Chaldish, a character who is Chaldish is described as a Chaldish character. Immediately. Immediately. Well, Patrick Roth has said that they're, they're black people. Yes, ex- exactly. So um, they look different from everyone else. We have the caravanners were Chaldish, Kilvin, Willem, mm-hmm. um, Viari the Giller was described as a childish, and then the the horse seller yep. that that we, we yeah, meet in we this met chapter. Several childish people, yeah. I'm sorry, I have a chart. I'm just I'm going to no, be giving you, you go, all kinds you of information. All I'm not going to stand between a lady and a ex- chart. This expository dump that Patrick Rothfuss did not do. Get ready. I believe in a former it's coming episode, out of me. I actually did ask for a little more exposition. So. There you go. It's it's coming out. Mm-hmm. So what do we know about the childish? The childish, we know that they're they're dark complected. We know that the um, the men do not give away money nope. in their in their culture. And we know that the men generally tend to wear beards. Um, we know that they tend to be um, money lenders. He talks uh, it's several times they mention childish money lenders. Their, their language is Ciaro. So that's kind of what we know about them. The main city that's mentioned in Child is Annalyn. I don't know if that's their capital. And they're they're right, like I said, and right on top close. of. that's fairly close. So, like you said, that also explains why we right. have a lot of childish people showing up. Right, because you've got you've got child in the northwest. Below that, you have the Commonwealth, which is where the university is, where Imre is, where Tarbian is, where Hallowfell is, um, and that's where Ben lives. So mo- much of the story has has been taking place in the Commonwealth, and um, we don't know much else about it. And there's, there's not much of their the culture described or the people described. I assume that's just because that's where everybody is sort of from. So it's not described, or Quoth doesn't describe it because it's not unusual. Yeah. So that that's makes sense. what's over to the west of the Arturan Empire. Mm-hmm. Over to the east, you have Modeg. And Vintus. And we've I've, heard about both of them a little bit. Yeah, I've heard you know, several references to, I wouldn't know him from the King of Vint. Yes. You know, but that's about the extent of it. So Vodas is, Modeg is in the northeast, and it hasn't been mentioned a whole lot. He mentioned um, learning about the courtly ways from a, a courtesan from Modeg in the very beginning of the book when he's describing mm-hmm. his childhood. He also talks about plays from Modeg, which often feature a character known as the silent doctor who signals catastrophe. And he... Um, so the doctor. 
Except he's not silent. Poss- he's not silent. The doctor's not. He's a talking to son of a bitch. But I think he said that uh, Master Lauren reminded him of the of the silent doctor. Gotcha. We, so that's the only places that we've read so far that mention that. But Ventus, like you said, in the southeast of the Four Corners, has been mentioned a, a, quite a bit more. Um, the Lackless family that that both as a child sings a song about Lady Lackless. Mm, yep. Mm-hmm. They're over there. Uh, there's someone named Mayor Alvaron, and of course the Jackass family, Ambrose, good old Ambrose, ah. is, is from Ventus. Good to know. Um, so, good and to then, know where to direct my hate. Exactly. So direct it all right over there to the southeast of the Four Corners. So that's what they call the Four Corners of Civilization. It's all these countries that are to the to the west of the mountains, right? And if you look at the map in the in the mountain range, there's a little pocket right at the top uh, north and there's a little country in there called a Demray, which um, is not part of the four corners and has not, has hardly been mentioned at all, but it's just kind of chilling up there. Cool. Um, so there you have it. That's right. what we know so far. Nice. About the, the known world. Giving me the, that exposition dump. Exposition dump. I so missed. I feel like a weight's been lifted off of me. <laughs> Things are organized. We can continue with the story. Th- well, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> All right. So Quoth buys a horse. So he buys a horse. Okay. So what did you find interesting in this chapter or what jumped out at you? Well, I mean, the big thing for me, honestly, a lot of this chapter seemed like just sort of transactional things. You know, we buy the horse. It's, you know, of course, it's it's it can't just be a straightforward horse. There's got to be something weird about it. I think Quoth, you know, handled himself very well in that transaction overall. It was interesting to read. You know, then we ride very hard. We meet a tinker. But these are all things that are just sort of, when you're reading this for the first time and you want to get to Traban, we thought it was Trabon last time, but we learned it's Traban. When you want to get to Traban, you want to get to Traban with him. Like, you want to go there and find answers. So you're reading these things and you're like, okay, 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 okay. Right. Let's and, get to trade. <laughs> and I, I'm pretty sure that the first time I, yeah. I read it, I was the same way. Um, yeah. This time through, a, a couple things jumped out at me. Okay. And one was how, again, we see how easily Quoth can just put on a character and become someone that he needs to be to get what he wants. Yeah. And um, we hadn't seen him do that in a little bit, but it's like it's like that fire's been lit and he is going in, and he's he's going after what he wants. That's and good, yeah, that's a good point because the last time we saw that was when he was leaving. I mean, to that degree, anyway. Right. Was when he was leaving Tarbian. Yep. So yeah, absolutely. We also see. I thought the the where he is talking about and naming the horse was interesting. Yeah, I did. I did enjoy that. I mean, I don't want to sound critical of it. It was. It's not like the parts were poorly written or anything. Well, no, no, I I just, I noticed something about that part, which I had not noticed before Mm -hmm. in previous reads. So what I noticed was that when he's talking, he's, it specifically says that he's just kind of talking to the horse, but his mind is sort of wandering. He's not really paying attention to what he's saying. And it jumped out at me because there have been times in the past throughout the book where that's been significant. Things that have happened when Quoth is sort of acting without thinking or doing whatever kind of feels naturally to him. So all yeah. the way back to like chapter three when he was talking about 
why he chose to mount the sword. And Bass is like, what are you thinking? Because something, who knows? We don't know yet what's up with the sword, but obviously something's up with the sword. Mm -hmm. And he says, you know, I don't know. It just felt right. And um, any time in my life that, that I've done something really great, it's been because I was acting without really thinking. So I feel like any time that Patrick Rothfuss says, I was talking without paying attention to what was coming out of my mouth, I was just, you know, letting things flow... I pay attention because that I think that that's sometimes a signal that something's important happening. And we have another instance of that later in this section as well. Right. When he's talking with Denna. Yes. Yes. So that's just something that I, I've picked, started picking up on this time, this time through. So he's doing this with the horse. He names him Keth Salon, which he, he thinks is CRO for Twilight. <laughs> he thinks it is. He thinks it is. And did you notice that he was he was looking at the horse's feet? Not specifically, no. Well, it specifically says as he was checking the hooves, he says the name Keth Salon. And um so. <laughs> And for some reason when he says that name, the horse handler goes, "Oh, what?" And then drops the price. Yeah, so, yeah. Which of course we until later. You know, in this chapter we learn it's because you know, he wanted to sell an all black horse because he could sell it for a premium but the way he did that was by covering up his one white sock you know this one white leg that the horse had uh so he painted it and um quoth had no idea but he led the horse uh seller to think that he did you know inadvertently and that's why he dropped the price so much Right. So again, we see, you know, there's no way Quoth could have known that this horse was died. Um, and just by accident, because he was talking in sort of a stream of consciousness, he accidentally named the horse One Sock. And for me, that's interesting because what we've known about naming yeah, in the I, book. I knew you were going to go there. Yeah. Right. So we know that names are important and we know that the gift of naming is important. And we're kind of assuming that this is all heading towards Quoth somehow get this is all about him trying to find the name of the wind or trying to trying to get the power of a namer so when we see him talking in the stream of consciousness thinking he's naming the horse twilight but is actually naming him one sock when in fact that's the kind of the perfect name i feel like that's just a hint of what's to come no no i think that's a good read and so he rides the horse and then when he gets close to uh Traben, he runs into a tinker who has two mules, uh, one who has a basically an injury to his foot uh, and is lame, and they go through a negotiation process where Quoth is able to sell him the horse and potentially make out pretty good on that deal. And, um, you know, then they sort of part ways. The big thing I noticed there that, that I left that transaction wondering is what happened to the other mule? He just left that damn mule. I don't feel like he had two mules, hon. Oh, I thought I he had two. I feel like it was one. Oh, okay. Well, still, what happened to the mule? I think he left it there. He just left it in the middle of a stream? Just I, You know, I never thought of that. I'm sorry. That's You've I, humbled me. I don't know that I can... <laughs> I'm worried. That mule is cold and lost. He may have brought the mule with him and just not, you know, used the really expensive horse as a pack horse. I, I don't know. 
I don't I don't know how I feel about it. I never once gave a thought to the mule. Well, I did. Maybe he went free. <laughs> maybe he did. And maybe that was the best thing for the mule. I shouldn't I shouldn't be sitting here so worried. Maybe the mule wanted to be free. Who wants to be a pack horse anyway? So Quoth so Quoth heads up to, to Traben with his new shirt and his load in stone and his blanket and whatever else. And um he finds out, he goes in, talks you know, kind of well, tries co- to get some information. Well, there was one. There's one thing before before that. He as he's walking through the town, he's sizing up the town, and that was interesting to me how he talked about sizing up the town. Um, and he talked about all the shamble men that he found, which led and it, how this was a more superstitious than usual town, which caused me to think. Well, I wonder why that would be. And then he goes by the or he walks past the Talon Church, and it's a large church. And he says it has the largest iron wheel he's ever seen. Right. And I just feel like that's not a coincidence. You know, and especially when we start to hear things later, you know, that's going on in the you know vicinity, leads me to believe that none of that's coincidental. There's a reason for that. Good catch. So he gets into the to the inn, starts asking some questions. Nobody wants to talk to him, of course, but he finds out that there was a witness. One lone survivor. One witness. One witness. And he goes up to find that witness. And of course. And it's Denna. It's fucking Denna. And <laughs> because of course it is. What and <laughs> Fucking Winona Ryder. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Denna, who is Winona Ryder. <laughs> or Jordan Catalano, depending. <laughs> That's what we decided last week. Denna's Jordan Catalano. Denna's Jordan Catalano. I like Winona Ryder Both better. Both is Angela Chase. Yeah. I mean, come on. Well, that's clearly red hair and everything. What Winona Ryder are we talking about? Are we talking about Winona Ryder from Heathers? We're we talking about Winona Ryder from... From Edward Scissorhands? Because it's clearly not Winona Ryder from Stranger Things. I, I think it might be Beetlejuice Winona Ryder. Because mm. nobody understands her. Could be. She's too strange and unusual. She is strange and unusual. About the right age, too. Mm-hmm. About the right age, so. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Anyway. Fucking Denna, sitting up there. Uh, this was the one part where I was like, really? Right. <laughs> really except that we don't know how it's going to end up because we, we know that there are things about denna we don't know so this is where the story starts to get into the m- greater mystery that's going on here yeah and, 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 and i mean greater forces at play yeah and like i'm not i'm not upset about the denna and quoth roadshow like like that's not really upsetting to me. Um, I've, I felt like when they were together and kind of talking back and forth, I felt like that was an interesting read. It, it was just one of those things where it's like, you know, of all the two bit bars and every town you had to walk into my, you know, it's just so sort of like just, it's just coincidence beyond the belief of coincidence. It, except that uh, that leads for me, at least when I look at Patrick Rothfuss's writing and how, he he doesn't usually take that way out. Doesn't yeah. waste words. That leads me to believe that it was not a coincidence that she was there. And I'm willing to to go down that road. I'm willing to to give it some time and see how that plays out. I mean, and especially the more that we read about her mysterious patron, who is the reason she was there. 
Correct. Yeah, that's that's correct. Yeah. So it do, yeah, that's a good point. So it really doesn't seem all that coincidental in that regard. Right. No, I I mean I my my opinion and my theory is that she was not there by coincidence and that there's something going on with this patron that involves the Chandrian or the Amir or Kvothe or all of them together. And that is pretty much the next thing that kind of happens. They sneak out of the bar. There's a little bit of a hullabaloo about that. Uh, they walk off and kind of, you know, rub elbows together. And then it pretty quickly turns into the conversation where they're talking about where Kothis apologizing for missing her. And she's like, yeah, I didn't, I thought maybe you wouldn't get the note. I wasn't sure. So it seems like everything's on the up and up. And she says, but it's good. You, uh, it's good. You stranded me that day. Cause that's how I ran into my mysterious patron. And that's right. where that all comes from. And it, so I read through that section. I read through it twice and I want to make some sort of prediction or judgment about it, but I really can't. Because we're only really given some very limited information in that section. Right. And I feel like it's, you know, we're deliberately not given enough information to make any real solid predictions. Right. Other than I'm with you that I think the biggest thing for me that leads me to believe it's tied to, that it is directly tied to the Chandrian or the Amir, is that when Quoth is pumping Denna for information about what happened and how everything unfolded, she's explaining the evening and everything leading up to the attack. And then she says, right before the attack, he runs off because he thinks he's heard something. And then, boom, that's when the Chandrian show up. Right. So, you know, that leads me to believe that there is some sort of connection there. Um, and not he's not that he's just a mysterious patron who, you know, is mysterious for other reasons, you know. Well, and the uh, fact that he, he told her to show up at this wedding, pulls her aside right before the Chandrian attack, asks her questions about how many people are there and who's there and yeah. and then runs off just as the attack happens. I mean Oh yeah, it's very, very super fishy. dodgy. Absolutely. Super dodgy. Yeah. I, it's funny because that's actually the word she uses. I believe she uses It's a good dodgy. word for it. It's a good word, He's yeah. He's dodgy. He's super sketch. Yeah, and, you know, the pumping everybody for information, what's it all about? It's it's hard to say what it what it is or what it could be. Um, and so I want to refrain from making any kind of predictions about mm-hmm. it because it's obvious we don't have enough information right. here to make a decision. But I'm with you. It's tied somehow to the situation. Or, you know what? somebody who's from an outside point of view try, who's trying to do the same thing Quoth is maybe. Mm-hmm. But if that's the case, how he managed to tie Denna into that really doesn't make sense, you know, right. unless it's just completely random and I, and I can't buy that. So, right. so clearly all connected, but I'm going to hold off from trying to make predictions about it. Well, and we may be know. able to talk more about it next week or, you know, as the weeks go on, but it, it's, yeah, that's definitely one of the, the greater mysteries. And I think it'll be interesting to see how that develops. Um, one clever thing that I, I caught that um, Patrick Rothfuss did in this chapter was um, he talks about um, going up to borrow rail and they, mm-hmm. they catch a ride with a farmer who says he's going up to borrow rail. And when they get to the top of this, this hill where the, the farm is, um, Quoth says, 
oh, I, I was disappointed there wasn't actually a reel there because I was thirsty. Yeah, and I was yeah. like, that's just a clever way of Patrick Rothfuss being like, for all you idi- idiots that don't know what a reel is, it's a stream. It's a, stream. <laughs> a reel is a stream. <laughs> um, well, the other thing I thought was clever in this, and I didn't pick it up on the first read through, is when they are talking about the mysterious patron, Denna says to Quoth, because they're struggling with how to talk about this person without having a name. So Quoth says, well, just make up a name. And so they're kind of going back and forth. And right when they're doing that, the wind all of a sudden picks up. And it blows a leaf into Quoth's mouth. And it's an ash leaf. Right. And... Then he says, okay, it's Master Ash. And as they're kind of going through that, they crest the hill to the Mothin, Mouthin, whatever the mm-hmm. name is, Mothin Farm, and there's literal ash, not mm-hmm. ash trees, blowing in the wind right into their faces. Right. And as I'm reading it, I'm like, okay, there's a couple things that we know are big themes in this book. Naming. Right. And the wind right so when the wind starts to crop up while you're attempting to name somebody and then it blows an ash leaf into your mouth you crest the hill and the town is all in ashes that's shining a spotlight on this right that's, something going on there's a huge spotlight on this 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 definitely points to not just being some random old dude correct thrown in there for no reason yep. i know who it is really yeah who do you think it is it's uh the tasty barbecue chip man himself salitos all right well we'll see that's That's my call that's a good call um so they get up to the farm and don't find much burned up house walking around kind of saying hey there's okay there's not a whole lot here until i'm kind of surprised it took quote so long to pick up on what was going on I mean, that's because we're we're. It's probably being telegraphed for us as the reader, mm-hmm. but it, it kind of takes them a while to pick up on what's going on. Because what do you mean? So the houses are burned, but not burned to the point where there's immense structural damage. Right. But he's like, why would they build a house out of like cork or not cork, but some sort of like he's talking about how the woods all like right. rotted away from the inside, and you know, and he leans on a windowsill and it falls away, and he's like. Why would they have these big stone foundations but cheap wood? He can't pick, he hasn't, it just hasn't connected with him yet that these, this is what the Chandrian do to their environmental surroundings. You know, despite the fact that he's one of only a few people who have ever seen it with his own eyes. But But because he was in such a crazy state when it happened, I think we give him a pass for it. Well, no, and I I think that, you know, as soon as he sees the pump handle. Oh, that's when he knows. That's yeah. when he notices. He did what he wouldn't know about the wood falling apart. And and I think he kind of puts it out there that he had spent a good bit of time really kind of harboring this secret fear that this was all made up. Yeah, that fair he, point. He just kind of cracked. And, um, and he's been through... You know, ever since the last time he's seen the Chandrian, numerous other traumatic events and, and spent so much time with those memories really being stuffed. 
So the one experience that he did have was the rusted wagon wheel at his parents' fire. Um, yeah, and um, seeing the rusted pump is what triggers the memory of that and confirms for him at least that, yeah. yep, they were here. Yep. This I'm probably, was the Chandrian. Yeah, probably being too too hard on him in that regard. I mean, we sort of figured that the Chandrian would be there anyway. So as soon as he starts talking about the wood being poorly because conditioned, again, we pick up on it. Again, for us, we're reading it as a narrative, as a story. And I think Patrick Rothfuss really wants it to not be like a story. Yeah. So, so no, he's not going to pick up on, on every sing- single thing like that. I think that, oh yeah, so this is the part that, that um, where he kind of um, mentions several times in this chapter and the next that if this was a story, this would have happened, but it's not a story. Well, yeah, you know? a lot of his interactions with Dana. I do want to, um, before we jump too far ahead, I do want to talk about this. So it's right around this time that he starts getting more information from Denna. And it's interesting, you know, Denna asks him why he's out there. He lies to her. And I think anybody else would have completely bought his lie. Right. And she's like, you are full of shit. Mm-hmm. Like just doesn't, doesn't buy it for one second. Re- reads them like a book and see right through them. And then later, when Dennis is trying to explain what happened, she says, I see dark shadows and here see blue fire and I run like a bat out of hell and I run headlong into a tree and get myself knocked out. And Quoth knows that's not true. Right. But doesn't doesn't pump her for, for information, doesn't call her out on it. So that's a good comparison. I hadn't quite caught that before. Yeah. You know, I, um, my dad has a story about running into a tree. Oh yeah. So I, I read that and I thought, well, that's just, that's too, when I'm reading it the first time, I'm like, oh, that's just too convenient. You turn, you run into a tree, you get knocked out, you miss the whole battle. Like, you know, that it just seems, it's just such a cop out. But then I thought about it. I'm like, well, I know somebody that's happened to, and it happened to my father <laughs> when he he was in the army, and they were doing a training exercise. I'm, yeah, I'm telling it. I'm telling the story. All right, it's a short one. Okay, don't worry. My so, eyes were saying, "Are you telling the story? Are you really going to tell the story? <laughs> are you really going to?" So when he was in the army, they were in a training exercise, and it. My dad is legally blind, so he wears the thickest glasses you've ever seen in your life, and. He, if you wear a gas mask, you have to have these special inserts so that you can see. So they call, you know, they let off the gas. He's supposed to put his gas mask on, um, and he does, but he realizes right then that he didn't have his inserts. So he is blind as a bat. They say, run. He starts running and runs headlong into a tree and falls down, gets up, starts to run again, says he doesn't make it any more than 10 feet, before he runs into another tree. So he's like, you know what? I'm just going to sit right here until they find me. And that's what he did. He just sat down. And two hours later, they came around and said, Dukes, where the hell were you? Right. That was totally worth it. Uh, Absolutely. Um, uh, So Denna claims to have run into a tree, but Quoth can tell that she didn't by the bruise, though, on her face. Yeah, correct. Yeah. You know, he said she has a bruise that goes from her temple to her hairline. And um, he can be running sideways to exactly 
So he can tell that she she did not run into a tree, but he doesn't call her on it. And um, then they sort of like wander aimlessly for her looking for her patron. And and again, mentions if this was a story, this would have happened, but it's not a story. And I think for me, that keeps the story feeling grounded because we kind of had this departure from what was a very real life feeling sort of college experience story and now we kind of have a departure and we we've toured more of a traditional sort of epic fantasy mode and now he's going after the the bad guys and but it's not it's not the trajectory you would expect like you said he doesn't walk right in and instantly know what's happening they don't instantly head on a path towards they just kind of like wander around and it feels more real it kind of brings it back to yeah they're i mean they're fumbling for okay what do we what do we do here the part about the apple at the end of chapter 72 is cute though. that was cute that yes. was cute yeah that was cute and, and really in this section chapter 71 and 72 are where you know the overwhelming majority of the action takes place they're fairly long chapters by patrick rothfuss standards um and there's a lot in them like those two chapters are pretty chock full like there's really not a lot of wasted words in those chapters right so so a lot to talk about there but we get into chapter three which is pegs 73 yes 73 sorry yes uh which is where we learn that denna carries a knife <laughs> now she carries a- <laughs> <laughs> go ahead go ahead so i i kind of like this a, a lot you know on this reread, um, you know, especially given what we talked about last week, I, I like the quote, um, a woman who goes around wearing a knife is obviously looking for trouble. A woman who carries a knife is ready for trouble. Yeah. And I like the explanation she gave because he's like, so, you know, a lot about knife fighting, eh? And she's like, well, n- no, but you'd be surprised how many, you know, men in wanting to take my virtue are willing to show me how to defend my virtue. Yes, you know? I like that quote quite a bit as well. And I've seen that happen in my real life. I, I as have I. So, guys, it's played out. It really is. That <laughs> attempt is played out. Yeah. For for the record, for you're posterity. Not, you're not fooling anybody. Nope. <laughs> So it's a palm to the bridge of the nose. That's what you got to do. <laughs> um, so this is also where he um, he talks to the to the gentleman who brings the pigs around. There's a, a Skoyven. Skoyven. Oh my! I'm glad you've got it. Skoyven Scheimelfenig. That's phenomenal. Thank you. That's phenomenal. <laughs> I didn't even make an attempt. So they talk with him for a while, and I got some notes here. The um, there was a pretty hilarious scene beforehand where Quoth tries to defend Denna from a charging boar, only to realize it's a mud-covered pig, and she's like, "I don't think it's dangerous." Mm-hmm. You know, that was pretty funny. It struck me here um, how Quoth's wit works against him with Denna because he his default is to come across as very confident, mm-hmm. very witty, and smart, and. You know, we could see his internal dialogue or his we can see his thoughts and how he's like so into this chick. He's so into her. He doesn't even know what to do with himself. He's completely floundering. He assumes that she would have nothing to do with him, you know. But if you look at just by his actions, you can see why she thinks that he's not into her. And she clearly thinks that. 
she clearly thinks that you know and she's it, clearly into him yeah and it's such a it's such a high school thing it really is you know like so my so-called life it, it really he is so into her but he won't make any blatant moves because he thinks it's played out and he, he's scared and all of that and then she's been surrounded by men who who do nothing but act that way so when he doesn't make any overt gestures plus i'm sure her just her own sort of lack of self-confidence you know she sees him and thinks why is this guy hanging around he clearly doesn't like me you know like and it's just it's so high school it's just that's the only way to describe it you know yeah and i mean and they're high school age kids you know so he's 16 she's probably 17 18 so you know i guess it's to be expected very different i have to say and this is the first time i thought of this the way youth is pictured in this setting and in this book is very different from say a song of ice and fire yes where when you're 10 you're old enough to train to be an assassin and kill people right you know right definitely uh, a departure from the the traditional very medieval setting where you're 13 you're a man grown exactly you're practically an old maid if you're not married by the time you're 13 if you're a woman so yeah very different dynamic there where these are more in line with what a modern expectation of a 16 or a 17 year old would be right right yeah and i for me that just makes the characters feel more real and we we just talk about that a lot we do yeah um but i think that's what makes this book stick with you you know well i think it's i think it's very relatable you know and it's one of the things that i think has got to be a struggle for a fantasy author is that there are certain things that you may want to do certain things you may want to play with like the idea of you know, people growing up really, really young in a society, but it doesn't translate to your audience, you know, and there are certain things that you may want to, you may want to do, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It might be holistic within your setting, but if it doesn't translate to a modern audience, it's not going to play. Right. You know, it, it kind of almost doesn't matter what your creation is. You ha- it has to make sense and not and you know pass the sniff test to to a modern to a modern audience and there are some things that you know we're just not gonna just not gonna listen to or read and you know fourteen year olds having sex is one of them right and and you know it's it's just such a nice synthesis in this story of these age appropriate and very realistic and relatable characters. But still, and also working with a very um, well thought out, um, well grounded magical system, um, really makes it a very real feeling fantasy world. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, and we've talked about how the the secondary, the tertiary characters are very well filled out as well. And for me, even just you know, good old Scoyven just kind of a throwaway. Like here, I need someone who can give this information to the to the hero and the heroine. But he still is an entertaining and an interesting character with his own kind of motivations and stuff. And they are able to... Yeah. And it also gives us a chance to showcase Quilt's adaptability and, and Denna's as well. Yeah, absolutely. That they are able to just go in and know what they need to say to this guy 
to get the information out of him. Yep. They know exactly how to posture him to get right. exactly what they want. And that and that's what happens. Right. And you, they find out that that uh that uh Mothin Mothin? How have you been saying it? I've been saying Mothin. Mothin, yeah, me too. We find out that he is a right bastard. A right bastard. A right bastard. And he's big and digging too deep, like like the dwarves. Exactly. And what we thought what he thought was Bororill, he turns to find out is Barrow Hill. Barrow Hill. A bastardization of Barrow Hill. And a barrow right. is a burial ground. Right. And then later, I'm kind of jumping ahead here. No, go for it. But so we think, oh, okay, Barrow Hill. But then as it, as Quoth even digs deeper into it, it's not really Barrow Hill. It's, it was named Barrow Hill by people who probably came there hundreds of years ago because it looked, that's what it looked like. Right. But it's really an old hill fort. Right. Because of where it lies strategically. Yes. And the stone that... That he found underneath of it. Right. And so it turns out that Mothin was in there, was under there, because I guess he was going to build a house for his wife, for his daughter. Daughter. Mm-hmm. And so in doing that, he's digging around. Um, though they uh, they do say, Scoivin says that he did find bones there. Yes. So maybe somebody used it as a barrow. Maybe they used it as a barrow after the fact. I don't know. But anyway, so he digs down deep. He starts pulling up the stones to use as the foundation for the house because what he finds and what he pulls up are cut stones. Right. And again, that doesn't make any sense in a barrel. And I was even thinking that. I'm like, okay. But I just went along with it because what the hell do I know? Right. You know, I was like, well, there's some stones there. You know, it wasn't until he kind of spelled it out. I'm like, okay. Yeah, that didn't really make sense. But so he pulls up the cut stones because... You know, cheap foundation, right? And it makes sense, too, because, you know, these are these salt-of-the-earth kind of people, but Quoth, when he saw the houses, said, yeah, but they're wealthy because of these stone foundations. No, they're not wealthy. They found, they dug up a shit ton of cut stone, but it was cut stone from the hill fort. But then in that process, he uncovered some sort of sealed room and inside of it was some sort of an artifact or heirloom or something. 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 Probably something I would, actually, this is what I suspect is that our master Ash, our mysterious dude may have not had anything to do with the Chandrian or the Amir. He may have been, trying to find that heirloom himself mm. or maybe even as an agent of those parties he mm -hmm. was trying to find it but you know if this guy's bragging about something that he found you know and this guy wants wants to find it uh knows you know how valuable it might be he's gonna maybe be secretive about it i tend to think it's it's the more obvious one that we talked about earlier that they are tied into the changer or the aimer in some way but just throwing that out as a as another possible possible uh, alternative there, um, if this guy was running around bragging about some sort of weird artifact that he found, this guy might have gone through some significant measures to make sure that he was, you know, could show up at the uh, event and s confirm whether or not it was there. And then the next thing he knows, you know, eight dudes sweep down in a shadow and start gutting everybody. That is entirely possible. That is entirely possible. Yeah. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, I tend to think that's probably not what mm -hmm. it is. So uh, either way, we don't know. And, and Quoth and Denna don't know. But they walk up to um, the northern hill where um, Scoivin has told him that he has seen blue fire. 
Yeah, and so, so I, I, I like this because when I first read through it, and we go to this hill site, so they go to this hill, they go up there, they get on a hilltop, set a fire, and I'm like, I'm like, Quoth, this is a terrible idea, but I missed the line where he said, if we're looking for your master Ash, perhaps he will come to, you know, he'll come to an obvious campfire. Right. I still question the decision, you know, given that we're, we're afraid of what's in the landscape. But the one thing we seem to know about the Chandrian is as much as they're right bastards, just like Mothin, they don't just show up and kill people for no reason. Right. Exactly. So you shouldn't, you know, easy for us to say, you shouldn't really be afraid of They them. also don't just tend to like chill after they've yeah. slaughtered a wedding party. Yeah, right. They don't just like kind of hang for a couple of days just in case, you know. See who else might show up. <laughs> no, I mean, they, so, they do their job and they get the hell out of there and they're not killing everybody who says their name. Right. There's only certain things. So, right. you know. They wanted to kill everybody at the wedding because they wanted to kill anybody with any knowledge of whatever of whatever the hell it was that that yeah. thing was. And it, so, you know what? And I hadn't thought about this. I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, no. But Denna is deliberately not telling Quoth everything. Absolutely, absolutely not telling Quoth everything. And she was at that wedding for a long time. The whole wedding, getting ready for the dinner, a lot of chatter. What are the chances that she heard about whatever it was? That is a good call. If that she is did, a good call. She she's being very deliberately deceptive mm-hmm. because she kind of allowed him to come to that conclusion without volunteering any information. So yeah. I tend to think that's not what happened. You know, but it may also be one of those things where, you know, within a day or two, she goes, wait a minute, and starts putting two and two together. That could happen as well. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good call. I mean, I, I think there's there may be a possibility that she did hear about the item, but is going to keep it to herself for her own reasons. Um, that's very interesting. What what jumped out at me um, for the in the first part of this chapter was... Uh, number one, that they are sitting on a graystone. Yeah, I and up we that we've too. known that the all these significant events have happened. Uh, his parents' deaths, uh, the first time he kind of meets and talks with Denna, have all happened around graystones. So, well, the other thing I noticed this time that I didn't pick up before is they're singing the song, the Chandrian song. They're talking about it, right. and it talks about a standing stone, which is a waystone yes. in yes. in there. Yes. So again, some sort of tie-in, and I didn't pick up on that the right. first time we read it yes yeah so um and i and i hadn't picked that up either um so and the other thing i noticed is so they're having this little standing stone picnic and um he, ma- he makes her a little pot of stew and she mentions that um well he, he first of all i think it's interesting that um the things that the tinker if you go back and reread that the interaction with the tinker what the tinker wanted to give him was different from what quoth wanted took Spell so, it out for me. I don't recall. So the tinker offered him a bottle of brandy, a bottle of strawberry wine. I remember him saying he wished he had gotten the strawberry wine. Yeah, yeah. and some rope uh, and uh, the loading stone. Mm-hmm. And so Quilth is like, I don't need the strawberry wine. I don't need it. I don't need the rope. I just want to, sh- I want a shirt though. He asked for a shirt. So anyway, 
he he makes a point now of saying oh i wish that i had gotten the strawberry wine and she tells him that that is her favorite (laughs) and so and and now go back to chapter six when chronicler and quoth are first talking and chronicler says that he knows he's heard something about a woman and a bottle explodes is it strawberry wine? It was strawberry wine. Damn. Way back then. You know what? I'm pretty sure that Denna is 17. So it was like strawberry wine, 17. The hot July moon saw everything. This is like their first taste of love. Mm-hmm. Bittersweet. Is that a song? Are you quoting a song? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to like way spell it out for me. Sorry. <laughs> You're not what, up so- in- what song were you quoting? It's called Strawberry Rhyme. Oh. Strawberry Wine. Yeah. Okay. I think it's Leanne Rhymes. Oh, okay. What yeah. No, definitely. Definitely not. Don't know that. Sorry. <laughs> well, maybe you should. <laughs> maybe I should. <laughs> okay. So they're up on this hill. I'm sure that was great for someone. <laughs> I'm not sure who. Someone's out there going, yes, that's exactly what I thought. I love that song. <laughs> yeah, there's one person who got, who's going to get that joke, and that person is probably not going to listen to this podcast. <laughs> anyway, so they're up there on their uh, hill with their big bright fire, and and lo and behold, the fire does attract bad news mm-hmm. for them. Well, news. I don't know if it's bad news. But, you know, they start seeing this blue flashing thing. What the hell's going on? Right. You know, and they panic and climb up on top of the waystone as <laughs> what I, I love Denna's reaction. She's like, that's a dragon. He's like, there's no such thing as dragon. She's like, it's a big goddamn dragon and it's right there. <laughs> like. You know, because yeah. as far as she she's concerned, that's a damn dragon. <laughs> it's enormous and it's breathing fire, you know, <laughs> and it's the uh, it's the Dracus uh, from, you know, the common Dracus book mm-hmm. that we read and quote says, nah, it's like it's really like almost like a cow. It's a harmless thing. It eats trees, you know, not a big deal. And it was an interesting. It was an interesting place to stop for us because. Right. We've been in this scenario where we've always, we've had these much longer sections of chapters, and we've been able to have almost these kind of complete arcs, and this Dracus just sort of comes from out of nowhere. Right. You know, but frankly, I I would much rather read and talk about six chapters than 15. I gotcha. Yeah, last time was too long. It was too much. It was too long. And and I I think we get to a place where we really can't cover it all. Right. In a reasonable time with any degree of, of, you know, the the attention that I think it deserves. So this is a better situation. But the downside to this is you you end on a a very non sequitur thing. Right. You know, know, that's okay. Huge goddamn dragon. The huge goddamn dragon. And so do you remember, did did you take note too of the... He's talked a lot about the book, The Mating Habits of the Common Dracus. Do you remember? It comes up a lot. Do you remember who wrote that book? Oh, yeah. The uh, Chronicler. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Good. Oh, yeah. Good. No. I'm, I, I, I missed that. I mean, I'm down. I had just forgotten about it. So, yeah. Whose um, name is like Voorhees or something? Lockies. Devin Lockies. Devin Lockies, which sounds a lot like Jason Voorhees. It does. Yeah. There's probably and no. also sounds kind of like Lady Lackless. So, mm. I just wonder if that's, if he's from Vint. Maybe. I Possibly related to that family. Some vintage bastard like Some Ambrose. Some vintage bastard, bastard indeed. 
Oh man. Well, I don't know if Ambrose is a vintage bastard, but I know that there's a there's a lot of half vintage vintage bastards everywhere he goes. <laughs> That's what I know. So um, there was a very short interlude in chapter seventy five. Mm-hmm. Not a huge amount of reveal there, um, but 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 another one. I always like to point those out because they're not placed there accidentally. Right. You know, there's always something that pops up in those little inter- interludes. I think this was probably the shortest one we've had. It was pretty short. It was like a page and a half, maybe. But yeah, so that's the section. Yeah. So, and I think toward the end, that the only thing that um, I would mention in this last section was how um, they're up on the waystone. They're kind of giggling because they they are giddy with relief. They're finally out of they're out of danger. They're not yeah. too worried anymore. And Adena's like. Wow, I'm I'm really cold, you know. I'm really cold, and he's like, "Here's a blanket." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's like, "Oh, okay." Oh, once again, <laughs> not getting it. She's like, "Oh, friend zoned." Yeah, again, like, uh, but you know what? Who of us hasn't been there? Who hasn't? Who hasn't? Completely clueless. No idea. No idea. Missing all the signs. Yep. (laughs) Yep. Oh, goodness. No, but it was a good section of chapters. There was a lot in those chapters, especially 71 and 72. Mm -hmm. You know, and as much as I was disappointed, oh, God, had to be Denna. The one survivor had to be Denna, right? But, you know, I did enjoy those two kind of wandering through the woods together and, and discovering these things. So it was... It was well paid off, and I'm holding out, like you said, that there's a legit non-coincidental reason why she's there, probably tied to this Master Ash. That's what I think. Yeah. That's kind of my theory. So time for predictions? Go predict it up. Okay, so so I already said the one right there, that, that there's a non-coincidental reason that she's there, to somehow mm-hmm. tied to Master Ash. Right. I think we both think that he's tied in somehow to the Aimer or the Chandrian. Um, although there could potentially be some alternate theories, but I'm going to stick with what we think is the more obvious one. And then one other, one other, well, two other things. One is I'm reading through the Chandrian children's song one more time, and it talks about a lady pale as snow. Right. And my prediction is that's Lyra. Okay. I have no idea, but that's my prediction. You know what? That's a good prediction. And the other prediction, and it's not really a prediction because it comes out and says it directly in the text. Mm-hmm. Denna is a fae. No. It says it right in the text. He He's joking. Uh, it said she's got a bit of fae in her. She's got a bit of fae in her. Haven't we all at some point? <laughs> No. (laughs) I'm not even sure what you're getting at. (laughs) Is it after 10 o'clock yet? Oh, it's way after 10 o'clock. It's coming (laughs) out. (laughs) Way past our bedtime. All right. um, So, all right. So that's it for predictions. And then um, we want to introduce a new segment. Do we? Yeah, we do want to introduce a new segment. Okay. This is a segment we'll do periodically, basically whenever we think about it. Right. And we remember to do it, and we don't have a two-hour-long podcast, only an hour-long podcast. We'll have What's Liz Reading Now? Oh, yeah. What am I reading now? 
Um, besides Name of the Wind. So um, I am reading, I am on book two um, of, oh gosh, hold on, let me pull it out. Of Stephen Erickson's um, Malazan Book of the Fallen series. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called Dead House Gates. You know and he fell. I'm, oh, he fell so hard. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. So that's what I'm reading right now. It's excellent. I'm uh, trying to get back into it. This is that series I told you about where the first book, um, Gardens of the Moon, uh, it was so good, but it took me so long not to get into it, but to even understand it. You gave me the impression that it was super dense. It's very dense. And if you're a skim reader, it's really hard (laughs) because... You you want to go faster than you can. You cannot skip anything in this book. Nothing. There's no exposition. Nothing is laid out for you. Um, you're mm. just kind of thrown into a battle. You don't know who. You just you're just kind of thrown into the action. Mm. That reminds Lots me of Glenn, of Glenn Cook's book, The Black Company, which I struggled to get into i think for the very same reason that there's no exposition at all right i mean this this book i told you gardens of the moon i had to read the first probably quarter of it like at least twice and kind of even went back a third time because if i would go and i'd be like oh this person is one of these people but you just have no idea but once you do then i just couldn't put it down it was fantastic so i got through that and now I've finally um, picked up the second book and it's kind of back with new characters. And I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> but I know, if again, I, yeah. I know if I push through that it's going to be fantastic. And some of the, the characters that I got attached to in the last book, I, I can't wait to find out what happens to them because it's, it's very interesting. So, yes, if you are looking for an epic fantasy that is definitely a dense and kind of... Um, meaty read i mean this this is a, a ribeye fantasy right ah, here this is i've never heard a, that term that's great i just made it up well you know what just now we, we need to use it again then we as should. much as we can <laughs> these are this is not french fry fantasy this is not french fry fantasy this is not this, this uh, is ribeye fantasy this is not angel food cake this is um this is a nice like juicy ribeye and uh, but it's wonderful if you if you have the time to get into it. I've also just finished a little bit of V. E. Schwab's um, Shades of Magic. We series. can talk about that some other time. Well, I just I'm just you asked. I'm I, reading a mm. bunch of things right now. I'm not going to go way into that one. Yeah, you got to save that's it for a, another podcast. Well, I'll be reading two other books by then. Well, that's a good point. Um, but um, yeah. So that's another good one. Um, Y. A. Series. Definitely more angel food cake, much faster <laughs> read. But um, so this one here, um, Eric uh, Erickson, Stephen Erickson, Stephen Erickson. Okay, thank. You. Is that series completely written? I don't think so. So honestly. that means no dice for me. Um, yeah, I don't. Oh, it might be. There's a lot of books here. I don't know. I'll find out. All right, we'll have to find out on that one. Eventually. We will find out and check back. Check back on that one. All right. So I have a couple of fandom news items. Do you have anything? No. No? All right, I have a couple of them. So one that I thought was pretty interesting, this happened a couple days ago, actually about two weeks ago, saw an article out there um, talking about John Boyega. 
What about him? John Boyega, who is, oh, what's his character's name in Star Wars? Finn. Finn. Okay, thank you. Finn from Star Wars, who apparently went out on a first date, and the uh, when the woman asked what John Boyega did for a living, and he responded uh, to the nearest Star Wars billboard, showing a picture of him wielding a lightsaber, uh... She said, "That's it. I'm out." That's that's a shame for him. She got he got dumped for being a nerd. <laughs> Haven't we all? So it doesn't matter. I've never been dumped for being a nerd. It doesn't matter if you are a beautiful, talented star of a major motion picture like John Boyega. If you was a nerd, you're getting dumped. At least by some people. The out trick there. is, you have to just. You have to just date other nerds. Well, why Why wouldn't you want to? You know, yeah. Right? I, I mean, that was just definitely always a prerequisite for me. Nerds are beautiful people. You have to drop a few obscure Star Wars references and and see if they take the bite. And that's how I know if we can be we can be friends. If it's going to even happen. Right. Right. Exactly. Because otherwise, what, what are we even doing here? Exactly. You can't talk to those people. Okay, so another one. Um, some information on the showrunner for the King Killer Chronicles mm. um, is a gentleman by the name of John Rogers. And I bring this up because if we're going to have a TV show movie, however this is going to play out, it's probably important for us to get to know the people involved. You know, like in Game of Thrones, it's, um, you know, uh, Benny Eisen, uh, Benioff and Weiss. Right. You know, and a lot of who they are and what they've done has heavily colored what we get as a product so good to know about this gentleman as well so some information here um is he is actually the one who is currently writing the pilot um and he was also heavily involved in two other series one called the librarians which i believe is in the third season is it really i believe so so you can check that out to get a taste of what this guy's work will be like to get a sense of of what you're in for. And then also another one on TNT called Leverage. Um, so the librarians and Leverage, neither of which are shows I've seen. So haven't had a chance to really look into it. Apparently also in the article, it details um, a little bit more. It says the plan is to have a feature film that covers the main trilogy and a TV series that expands on the broader setting. Ugh. Yeah, that's kind of the way I felt too. Uh, my my hope is I'm not going to get very upset about that right now because my hope is that that's a tentative plan. Well, I would think at this stage it would have to be right. You, right. I mean, you're really kind of still fleshing things out. You don't one movie for the whole trilogy. That doesn't seem to make sense to me. No, there's no way. There's no way. Well, so much. There's no way. I mean, one of the big problems with adaptations of novels is that you know novels don't really work well with movie movie length yeah you know better adaptations for novels are more are short stories or novellas right you know and this is one hell of a big novel so the idea that you're going to pack three uh, just yeah i mean yeah i don't see how that would work but i'm not going to get upset about it because i i know that patrick rothfuss is going to be heavily involved and i'm i know that it's What's more important to him, and I think he said this in interviews, more important than than money, um, is that his work is is done justice. No, absolutely, he's absolutely said that. One hundred percent said that. Yep, absolutely. 
so yeah, I'm not going to get too worried about that. I'm just going to sit here and dreamcast. I'm pretty excited about that. I think we need to have an episode at the end of this where we bring, where we talk about all the predictions that were made. Right. Kind of give our, you know, you know, our, our general impressions, et cetera. And then also sit down and come up with our Dreamcast. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. I think idea. that we should do that before we before we move on. Because we're probably going to move on to here from the way the timing is going to work out. We are probably going to end up doing Game of Thrones right after this. Yes, I believe that is the plan. Yeah, because there probably won't be enough time to get into anything else. Um, we don't want to get two or three weeks into a novel and then stop. So. So stay tuned. Yeah, we haven't figured all that out. So right now we're just spitballing. All right. So anything else? Nope. Well, I appreciate you being here tonight. Right back at you. And looking so good for podcasting. (laughs) I mean, really sharp over there. All right. So where can they find us? The the D&D podcast. They can find us Yeah, on Twitter at the D&D podcast. Right. Uh, on Facebook at the Duke and Duchess. Mm-hmm. And of course, the website is the Duke and Duchess podcast.com. Right. And, um, you know, a couple of people have asked me how, how they can support the podcast. And um, I always tell them to um, leave us a review on iTunes. That helps. It does not have to be long. It could nope. be just, you know, one word, a couple of words, whatever. Um, the more reviews we get, the more visible we are, I believe, on iTunes. That is correct. So pimp us out, yo. Yeah, and I think the thing I'm going to continue to ask for is tell somebody because the iTunes reviews are great, but this is a community, you know, we are very much in a niche thing here. You know, we're not talking about the NFL. We're not talking about politics. We're talking about name of the wind, you know, and, and we're really trying to attract a pretty niche group of followers. So the word of mouth, I think for us is going to be super necessary. So tell a friend, talk about it on social media, you know, tweet about it, put it out, put it out there on Facebook if you like it, you know, and if you don't like it, tell a friend, put it out there on Facebook, just tell people, I don't care. I don't care if it's positive or negative. Look at this shit podcast. Oh, my God. Some people are probably Some more likely. People like, are so annoying. <laughs> probably more likely to click on it. <laughs> we do that. No, of course we want you to like it. Of course we do. So thank you so much, everybody. Do you have anything else you want to no. say? All right. Yay. Yay. Number seven. See you next week. See you next week. Have a good night. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.